Snap Studios. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Support for Snap Judgment comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is an all-in-one management software with apps for every business need. Odoo has apps for CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, manufacturing, and everything in between. And they're all in one easy-to-use software. And the best part about Odoo? All Odoo apps are integrated, helping you get things done faster and more efficiently. So when you think about business, think Odoo. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash snap. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash snap. Okay, so you got to understand, I'm like 14, 15, sitting in the kitchen, reading a book. Mama's sitting right next to me so she knows I'm innocent. We both hear the holler, the crash, the explosion from downstairs. I smile because somebody's fixing to get a beating that is not me. I run down the stairs after my mama and witness the whole carnage. Calamity. Like the aftermath of a bomb, sliding glass door in fragments. My brother in the living room, still on his bicycle atop a sea of broken glass and wreckage and wrong choices. His little friends outside trying to flee the scene around their ramp. Boy, what I tell you about jumping on that bike? What I tell you? I almost, almost feel sorry for him. I just know. He better play it so he gets his beaten now, right now, from her. But this calamity is too much. The wreckage too vast. My mama says the dreaded words. Wait till your father gets home. No, oh no, oh Lord. Death warrant. Sign. Future over. Anything's better than waiting for the punisher. My father to return with fury and righteous anger. Beg. Plead. Gravel. Do whatever you got to do, but do it right now. He turns to my mama, looks her dead in the eye, and smiles. Boy, you think this is funny, huh? You think it's time for chuckling? That's when he says, What? Green's back at her, wild-eyed, Solomon Gomorrah builds up Ramses the color drains from my mama's face. Lord Jesus! She runs upstairs, starts screaming into the phone. A few minutes later, pastor arrives with my father, all of them frantic. My brother now, he's, he's twisting around in a chair, hands trembling, eyes demented. 
as they begin the anointing ceremony. A pastor removes a specially consecrated vial of olive oil from his jacket pocket. He dabs it onto a piece of white linen and presses the cloth on the forehead of my still babbling brother. And together, they all place their hands on his as the pastor leads him in prayer. In the name of Jesus, we command any and all vile spirits of evil to come out of this boy. Leave this boy, Satan. Leave him. My brother's head whips back and forth of his tongue. He's back, arching like he's pushing against some sort of invisible grip. Leave him, demons. Leave this boy. His arms, legs, frail, beaten, kicking, punching under this strain of unseen pressure. And finally, finally, he falls still. And it's quiet. Except for the sound of hard breathing. And light returns to my brother's eyes. My mother weeping says, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Later that night, going to bed, me in the bottom bunk, him on the top in the darkness, I tell him, <laughs> yeah, um, you sure put in some work to dodge that beating your head coming today. And my brother says, and we laugh and we laugh and we laugh. Spook starts. Now. John Hinkson's family, they often gathered plants like cedar, sage, sweetgrass. In his native southern Cheyenne community, they used these plants as medicine to cleanse bad spirits and energy from homes, a practice known as smoking off. For Spooked, and for the very first time for a non-native audience, John shares his story. Spooked. I was taught by my dad, you know, my dad saying, John, come outside with me. And we would walk out and he would get down and offer tobacco and cut the sage at the bottom of the stem and hand it to me and say, hold this. It was that kind of thing of watching. And if he needed something, uh, son, 
Go out and gather that for me. Go out and pick that. It was that kind of interaction, more than, I'm going to teach you how to do this. Indians don't really do that. Cedar is used to cleanse. Some people don't burn it. Some people boil it and let the water cool and then wash themselves with the water. The Cheyennes, we burn it. Sage is also used to cleanse. That smoke, when you pray with it, carries that spirit. Sweetgrass, sometimes it opens that world in between you and the spirits to where you can speak with them. You speak to that spirit that moves. It's everything that's living. So it's the wind, it's the air, it's water. It's all the things of the natural world. People trusted my dad because of his ceremonial life. If he was asked to smoke somebody's house off, there's a meeting prior, and I would just be with my dad, and he would just tell me to walk behind him. And we would walk through the home, smoke every room off. Uh, You basically go clockwise around the house. It's to open that house up, to make them feel safe there. That's basically what smoking off or blessing a house is supposed to do. And then the family comes back in, and they're smoked off as they enter. And there's usually a discussion of what happened there, or if he saw anything, or if the house is cleansed, that kind of thing. Dad was preparing me for this life, but never mentioned any of this, or that I would do this when I got older. I was enrolled in Fort Lewis College. I I didn't know anyone. You have a community of Indians. The Southern Ute Res is right there. Northern Ute Res. And then the Navajo Res, which is the largest reservation in the country. But then you have Pueblos, you have Hopis. I do feel comfort in being around, you know, twelve to 1,400 Indian kids at the beginning of the semester. Anyone who's an earth religion, you kind of have this connection with them because you understand what they're speaking about. Even if a kid's from a res where they didn't practice any of this, they at least have an insight of how we deal with one another. The first house I smoked off in Durango was my own. Someone came over and smelled you know, cedar and those kinds of things. And they were like, what are you doing? And I told them I was smoking my house off. I did have friends who moved into new apartments and uh, they didn't really have anyone to ask to take care of their home, to bless it or to open it up like that. And so they would call me, hey, we're moving in here. It's going to be our first or second night and we just want to just cleanse it. When I first started smoking houses off, I questioned everything that I did. 
I knew the teachings that I had watched, but there's still a nervousness to it. I wasn't 100% courageous about it. There were times when I would get inside the home or talk to the people, and it would be something I didn't understand. That feeling of something is just not right. I would just tell the folks, hey, I'm going to have to make a phone call. And I would ask people, elders usually, people that I trusted, people that understood what I do, and they would give me their knowledge base also of these things. I had a friend that called me and asked me to uh, smoke off his house. I asked him what was going on, and he told me, he said, there were dreams being had by the grandmother that lived in the home. She was having nightmares and had been having them for a while. Dreams of, like, coyotes, dogs with fiery eyes and all that. She was starting to get afraid to be there. She was actually wanting to leave. He was an avid hunter, and he had this huge elk mount of the head and the horns, you know, and it was above the couch. He said he was laying on the couch. He heard a noise, and he looked up at it, and it was moving, and he got up and moved, and about that time, that elk mount fell off the wall. It flipped over, and it landed on the couch with the horns down. So if he would have been there, the horns would have actually stabbed him. He said by that happening with that elk mount, it really got to him that he needed something done. It was a modular home, two-story. The rear of the house where the back door was, there was a wooden deck. It wasn't really a backyard, like fenced or anything. It was just a property. But on the back of it, there were rocky areas, mesas, plateaus. This was early evening. It was getting dark. I said, uh, I need for you to build me a fire in the backyard, away from the back porch. Doesn't have to be huge, but enough to where I can pray outside. I can burn the medicine I need to, stuff like that. And he, he thought that was kind of odd. He said, well, I just need for you to smoke my house off. It was the first time I'd ever done that. But I did know that whatever needed addressed was entering the house and then probably leaving. It was just something that seemed right to do. He was like, okay. So he he went out and did that. I talked to the family and told them what I was going to do. We needed to open up the home, cabinets, drawers, closets, all that kind of stuff. Needed to be at least cracked. After the fire was going, he came back in, and I instructed him. I said, well, I need for you guys to leave if you want to go to town. I understand. Do not enter the home until I give you guys the motion to come in. And they all agreed, shook hands, did all that mess, and then they left. I don't want to have someone in the house when I'm smoking it off and something does appear and they freak out and they won't calm down. I don't want that feeding those kinds of things. 
this is the way I was taught to do it. You have people leave, you take care of the home, and that's what I have to focus on. And I get the things that I'm going to use, cedar and sage. I sit down in the floor, I get all my things set aside, have my feather out, an eagle feather. It was gifted to me by my father. I have a cast iron skillet. I have that pan sitting in front of me with the things in it, and I have a lighter. And I light it, and I start praying for the home. I'm praying for the people that live there. I'm praying to all this natural world. You ask the wind to come through that home those four directions to pass through there and to cleanse it. I've got my grandmas behind me, my uncle, my dad, even though he's still here. All those things behind me, and so I'm talking to them as well. Snap Judgment presents Spooked in just a moment. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the smoke and water episode. We're featuring our evil twin podcast, Spooked, and sharing its supernatural storytelling glory with you. When last we left, John was cleansing a house to rid it of bad spirits. Spooked. I get my feather, and I hold the pan, and basically go through and fan that smoke throughout the house. And I go in a clockwise motion, around the entire inside of the home. Focus on doors to make sure bad things aren't going to come in afterwards. And then I went upstairs, took care of that, and I came back down, and I continued in that that circular motion around the home. There was nothing inside that house. I didn't feel anything bad inside that home. It was really easy to take care of. I gathered up my bag and my stuff, and I went outside. I sat down on the ground. It was dark by then. Clear night, it was kind of cool. No moon, stars shining, you know, all that. I was backed up against the porch and the fire created a half circle, you know, of light into the backyard. There was also a little Rottweiler puppy that he had. It came up and it curled up beside me and it was just sitting there. I was sitting on my knees, and I was putting cedar and things on that fire. I was trying to figure out what was bothering them. And so at one point, I just said out loud, if there's something here that wants to be seen or heard, I need for you to come here and talk to me. Come sit down with me. I'm absolutely respectful as I can be because you're not there to hurt it. 
I don't want it to try to hurt me. As soon as I said that, I could hear the grass crunching as something was walking. And it sounded large. I heard it approaching, and I started praying. I couldn't see it, but that puppy jumped up and took off running, yelping around the house. That honestly scared me worse than anything. There was an absolute fear that instantly hit me. What is this? What am I going to do? You've asked it to come sit with you, and the closer it got, the more pressure was building, the grass still breaking, and when it gets to the edge of that light, it stops. But it's standing right in front of me, but I just can't see it. I can hear it breathing, and I can feel that presence there. It leans in to the light. The head is fully visible, but it's got that cast like when you hold a flashlight underneath your face, those shadows. It is a cat's head, yellow and black. Ears were just kind of moving around. It had huge yellow eyes with black slits. I would say 10 to 12 feet tall. It had huge whiskers. And I could tell it was a cat. But it had more of a human-like body. It was standing on two legs. It did have arms... But the hands weren't really anything I was focusing on. I was focusing on what I just saw. And I was, in my mind, trying to figure out how to address it. Because that is the absolute last thing I was ever expecting to come to me. It leaned in so it could see me and then just leaned back out. It was quick. It was something I'd never seen before. It was breathtaking. I could hear it breathing. It was deep. A large inhale, large exhale. The hair on my arm stands up. The hair on my back, my head, that light feeling of skin crawling. Fear in my heart. I was absolutely terrified. And then I heard my uncle's voice telling me to put that fear aside. You cannot be afraid of this. This is why you were asked to do this. I hear my grandma's telling me, We're still at war. We're still at war, but we're going to be respectful to our enemies. I hear all those people who have taught me all those things at that one moment 
and I had to separate fear from my entire being. And I put it aside. And I knew that I was fixing to have counsel with whatever this was that had walked up. I calmed myself down, and I said, thank you for coming here. I said, if you want to tell me why you're here, it's okay. As I spoke to it, it was listening. I could feel it listening. It started pacing on the outside of that light. Right on the edge of that darkness. It was just walking back and forth, and I could hear it step. I said, if you were sent here, I need for you to go back to that person that sent you. There's no need for you to be here anymore. I said, the way I was taught to pray was in a good way. A peaceful way. Maybe someone has never prayed for you like this. Maybe people are just afraid of you, but I'm not. And every now and then it would lean in and look at me. I was speaking those things as I was praying also. And it just kept pacing back and forth. I'm putting cedar on that fire. Sparkles come off of it. I had sage burning. I was holding my fan across my lap. And I'm sitting there focused on that fire. I stopped looking at it. And every now and then out of my peripheral, I see it looking in. And this went on for a while. And I just told it, I don't know why you're here, but there's a whole nother world waiting on you. And so all I ask for you is to move on. You're not needed here. You're scaring these folks. You scared me when you walked up here. But now we're just talking. We're being respectful to one another. I've asked my folks in the other world to accept you like this and for you to go. And there was kind of a buildup in breathing again. And I looked up, and you could see it just kind of in the shadow of things. And the next thing, it was gone. And a absolute peace fell upon that entire valley. Everything came back alive. You could hear bugs, you could hear all the things in the night. The senses in my head, in my body were so heightened, it's like I could feel everything. And I knew absolute that whatever that was, it was gone. Little puppy came back around, laid down back beside me. I stayed out there and continued to pray for a while. And then I knew it was time. I finished up what I was doing out there. I gathered my stuff up. I put some coals in my pan. And I went back inside and called the family in.
When Grandma walked in, there was like a sigh of relief. I told him, I said, whatever that was here is gone. I smoked Grandma first. When I was done, she hugged me, and she went right to her room. She went in there and laid down on her bed. And that really gave me a sense of relief of she felt comfortable, you know. And then smoking off their kids, nephew, the wife, smoking off my friend. I smoked myself off and then went out on the front porch and we were standing out there smoking cigarettes, me and my bud. He did ask me what I saw and I just told him I couldn't, I couldn't tell him. It wasn't for him to know, but it was gone and that's all that mattered. I just tell them, you need to watch who you bring into your home. You need to watch also how you interact with one another. You don't need to live the cleanest life if you're a drinker or whatever, but just know that I just sacrificed myself because you asked me to. And I ask you guys to sacrifice a little as well. And then we shook hands and I went on my way. I'm not a medicine man. You know, I'm not anything like that. It is a ceremony, but it's not magic. And I see people on the internet or Facebook or Instagram or Twitter that post about, you know, I had to buy a smudge stick to take care of my house. We kind of make fun of them. We call them tourists. I want to know if they understand that power of what they're holding because they might just see it as the plant I'm opening up so people will know, you know, that this isn't a step-by-step of how you do this. This is just one instance of what I've seen and what I've taken care of or done the best I could with, you know. I would mostly say that this is more kind of like a warning of what can happen. You don't want to be a tourist to this. You need to be equipped to be able to handle whatever might come. Thanks so much to John Henson for sharing that story. The original score was by Leon Morimoto. It was produced by Chris Hambrick and Ann Ford. After the break, we're off to the jungle where the shadows show a guy exactly what he's made of. Stay tuned. Judgment, the smoke and water episode. My name is from Washington, and today we're sharing our evil twin podcast, Spooked, made in the dark of night, featuring stories from people who can scarcely believe them themselves. And next up, we're going to Southeast Asia 
Dr. Ampton lives in Brunei on the island of Borneo. He and some of his colleagues are going to go on a work retreat. Things have gotten stressful in the office and it's time to get on the same page and bond as a team. The road becomes from loose gravel to mud, clay, and it's at least three hours to drive off-road. We had this government-issue Japanese off-roaders. So we were in a convoy of those, and we had fun drifting in the mud. It was like we were young again, set loose upon the world. There was this huge steep hill we had to drive up to and we needed to pick up speed. I said, come on, on the count of three, we're gonna shout Sparta, you know? Just like in that movie, 300. We're together, we're having fun. Whatever fights we've had before, that's forgotten. It was like all was forgiven, you know? We go to a place called Sukang, None of us had ever gone there before. And it's interesting because the village is always flooded. Okay, so because it's by the river bank, so all the houses are on the stilts. It's not just rural, but it's deep rural. As someone who says, oh, I live in a tropical country, I have no idea until then what tropical rainforest is like. The trees are as tall as buildings and then a lot of butterflies, beautiful butterflies. The air is so much cooler. If I see an eagle soaring in the air, I just feel as though I've been chosen, (laughs) you know, to have a good day. We were all excited. We even brought a, a karaoke set, a full proper karaoke set. In Southeast Asia, karaoke is a must. Doesn't matter if I can sing well or not, I am singing. After about four hours, we got to the dock and took a five-minute boat ride to the clinic. The clinic is basically a wooden house, a large wooden house structure on the river. There are no parts where there's soil or land. There is no dock for the clinic. You basically had to get as close as you can and jump. We were shown where the hall was. This is where we're going to have our team activities, team building activities. The ladies were shown where their dorm was, where the sleeping quarters were. The guys were shown where our sleeping quarters was. Then straight ahead was the toilet. It was quite a distance actually. After we had unpacked, we do our orientation program, we have the team building. One activity was there's some sort of rope that was put on the floor. And we had to get across from one side to the other without getting off the rope. 
And you know these things take quite some time, and I needed to pee <laughs> really bad. I went out of the hallway and started walking, and the toilets are in the end, and it's a long walk. I said, "Man, that's such a long way." And I wanted to get back into where all the fun was, you know. I didn't want to miss out. I had just had fun with my friends, and I felt on top of the world. I, I felt, I felt uninhibited. And I thought, you know, since no one's here, everyone's busy in in, in the hall. I'm just gonna pee into the water. So that's what I did. As I was peeing into the water, I heard. On my right side, the voice of Doctor Zim, my colleague. He was literally standing by my side while I was peeing. He comes up right close to me and says, "Are you sure you want to do that? What if someone is down there? Meaning, not a real person, but a spirit of some kind. There's something called chabul. It's like a set of conduct." When you enter the jungle, there's certain things you're not meant to say. There's certain things you're not meant to do, because otherwise it gives an excuse for spirits to come after you. He said that you're not supposed to pee into the water because you might be peeing onto a spirit. So I I was、um, a bit naughty. I didn't just pee there. I I challenged it because that's what I do. I do my challenge. That's part of my tribal instinct. I'm a descendant of a Kedayan tribe. When Kedayan people enter the forest, they challenge the spirits. They say, "I'm not afraid of you. Come on, come here." Part of their belief system is to keep the spirits in check. So they said, "Well, here's my golden shower," and I spat and I did a big loogie. I felt gung ho. I felt tough. I thought I'm indestructible, so none of you spirits, if you exist here, can do anything about it because I am who I am. So he left, and I, you know, I、um, went back into the hall and did my team building thing. After we had the orientation program, we decided to sing. You gotta sing American Pie, right? I can still remember how that music used to make me smile, and I knew if I had my chance, then I could make those people dance. It's such an easy song to sing, and everyone joins in the chorus. We were screaming to the top of our voices, you know. Bye bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. There was no drinking, alcohol was prohibited in Brunei, but we had a lot of fun. After we we finished singing,、uh, it was time for bed. Most of them were bunk beds. I grabbed one that was near a window, and near the door. Usually I sleep well, but that night I was woken up around 2 a.m. What woke me up was this loud thumping sound underneath me. 
Boom. 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 I thought, what is that? It's very eerie. I thought maybe it's the boat. The, the boat was tied to the stilted building, so wooden stills and this water uh, everywhere below. I thought I'm just gonna ignore it. I noticed, you know, the, the window was frosted, but I could see a black shadow moving to and fro from one end to the other. It was passing by the window and then back again. And then something was moving past the, the gap between the door and the floor. And when I looked under, I saw tiny feet. I said, no, 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 that's just your mind playing games. You're in the jungle, you're tired. But I'm sure I saw feet. One pair of feet moving fast by the door and passing again, just like with the window. I was really scared. I said, hey, anyone awake? Hello? Hello? I have a pretty loud voice and no one woke up. And I thought, what am I going to do? So I thought, I'm going to get out of the room and walk towards the hall, the main hall. I thought, it just made sense that I should be with people who was awake. It's like a long balustrade to get to the hallway. When I got out, I felt there was someone behind me, and not just someone behind me, but I felt someone was clinging to my back, like piggybacking, like a backpack, but with hands. Usually, I would say, I'm going to turn around and look at you. And, you know, if I see something, I'm going to punch you. But here I thought, if I saw it, whatever it was, I'm going to die on the spot. Because I was so scared. My heart was pounding. I was sweating. I was trembling. I wondered if I was having a stroke. I didn't dare turn around. I tried saying some holy verses from the Quran, but I was just gibberish. So I just said, okay, I'm going to look down on my feet and just uh, keep walking towards the hall. When I got into the hall, I'm trying to find someone else who's awake. If I'm with someone else, we can confront anything. But if I'm alone, you know, and something happens to me, no one's going to avenge my death. No one's going to be able to tell what actually happened. When I went into the hall, I saw the team leader. He was asleep, and I tried to wake him up. He was just sleeping, fast asleep. I got so upset, and I said, you're supposed to be a psychiatric nurse. You're supposed to be able to wake up when there's an emergency. And he didn't wake up. So I thought, gosh, what am I going to do? I thought, there's no way I'm going to sleep here, because the door's open, and it's huge, it's less people. I thought I'd be safer in numbers. So I made the option of going back towards the bedroom. And the moment I got back out there, you know, I felt the same thing. I felt something was there. 
that that moment I saw the water disappear. It vanished. The water vanished, and I saw all the vege- vegetation underneath. I saw the boat on the actual mud, on the actual soil, when it was just supposed to be floating. All the houses are still there on the stilts. The trees are still there, but the water is all gone. It's like something, someone drained it all away instantly. I thought, no, no, that can't be. So what I did is close my eyes and I said holy mantra inside my heart. I opened my eyes and the water was still gone. It was completely gone. Whatever can make water disappear must be more powerful than you can imagine. I had only one thing to do, which was to run back into the bedroom, sliding into the door and just slamming the door. And then I jumped into the bunk bed. I thought, what what was that? What, what the hell was that? I wanted to switch on the lights, but I was so scared that the moment I put my feet ground on the floor, something from underneath my bed would drag me into somehow into the water down below. So at that time, I had this brand new Japanese flashlight, indestructible. I switched it on, pointed it at the wall, and I just focused on that. After five minutes, I said, all I have to do is wait till dawn. And it was at that moment, the brand new flashlight died. And that's when I went into further panic. I was sweating buckets. I got to do something or I'm going to die here. I thought if something appeared in front of me suddenly, I would just collapse. And the worst thing was that if I died there, people would say, oh, he just had a heart attack. He was smoking, you know, he had too much fun there. No one would say he died there because spirit killed him or he died of shock. I was so scared. Eventually, I mustered the courage. I jumped out of the bed and just punched the lights. I started shouting at everyone, wake up, wake up, everyone. And everyone was fast asleep. So there was this guy in front of me. He's actually uh, a urologist. He was somewhere in la-la land and dreaming happily in a blissful sleep. I thought, no matter what happens, I'm going to wake him up. It could be one of these things that he'll never forgive me for, but this is do or die. So I slapped him hard. His face kind of shook and he woke up. And I had to say to him, look, look, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I know this sounds crazy, but I think there's something here. It surprised me, he didn't fight with me. That's the thing that surprised me, how calm he was. He believed me. He said, okay, let's go to the hall and we'll uh, sleep there. He actually brought me to to the hall, read some holy verses for me, and waited for me to sleep. The next day, I woke up disheveled, 
and everyone saw me. It was so embarrassing. You know, it's it's not it's not nice for everyone to see you in the middle of the hall to find you sleeping and snoring. <laughs> for the rest of the day, I did my best to participate in the exercises, the team building activities. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, oh my God, what had just happened? How could this happen? At the same time, I don't want people to know I peed into the water. <laughs> uh, and and um, I didn't want people to know that I broke a code of conduct with the spirits. But I came up to Dr. Zim. I said, you know, I should have listened to you. And he said, well, what are you talking about? You know, about your warning not to pee into the, into the water below. He said, what are you talking about? You peed in the water? Why would you do that? At the time, I just, I didn't say anything else because I wasn't sure if he's pulling a long one. But at the same time, I was thinking, I think he's telling me the truth. I don't think he was the one who told me not to pee in the water. And then I realized that I didn't actually see his face. I did not see uh, Dr. Zim's face. All I just saw was that he was beside me. I never saw his face. I thought that must have been something else that was telling me not to pee into the water. I think it was uh, the spirit itself was warning me. It must have been the spirit that I pissed off, (laughs) literally. I know now, in the jungle, a proper jungle, deep jungle, you respect. You respect the unseen. I shared this story with a friend of mine who's actually a spiritual master. He said that the spirits wanted to send me a warning. I was in a state of, um, it's like a dream state, but it's a dream state that's been conjured by the spirits. So that's why I couldn't wake anyone up until I I decided to slap my urologist friend. That was the only thing that broke the spell. And now when I, you know, before I do a challenge, I say, do I really want to do this? A few months ago, in my clinic uh, upstairs, there's, um, there's a particular room that's got no windows. And my staff have seen something there. Every time I go to that room, I know there's something there. I get goosebumps. And I basically shouted, don't you dare. Don't you dare show up to me. I'll beat the F out of you. And as they're saying that, I was just thinking, oh man, don't, don't do this. Don't challenge it. But you got to show that you are stronger willed than you actually are. Like how a cat puffs up its fur, you know. We're humans, we never learn. Dr. Ampton for sharing your story on Spooked. That original score was by Dirk Swartzoff. It was produced 
by Ann Ford. And if you dig this walk through the Shadowland, know that Spooked now drops on all podcast platforms in the world each and every week. Spook was created by the team looking to get the cheapest price. Except, of course, for Mark Ristich, who always pays top dollar because he has enough trouble as it is. There's Davey Kim, Chris Hambrick, Leon Morimoto, Teo Decott, Marissa Dodge, Zoe Frigno, Ann Ford, Eric Yanez, Cody Harjo, Lola Abrera, Doug Stewart, Miles Lassie, and Yari Bundy. The spook theme song is by Pat Massini Miller. My name is from Washington. And evil, evil is something we think we want to fight. It's something that's always over there. But shadow, shadow is something very different. Shadow is the secret. Shadow is the hidden, the unknown. But the unknown does not mean the evil. So you can fight evil. You can slay the dragon. You can defeat the angry horde. But one, one does not fight shadow. Shadow is. You can dodge. You can fence. You can peek. But the shadow will be. It can be your friend. It can be your enemy. But it will be. You will never change its nature. You can only bend it. And the very best tool I know for coaxing shadow to do your bidding it's simple never ever never ever never ever 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 never turn out the lights support for snap judgment comes from odoo what is Odoo? Well, Odoo is an all-in-one management software with apps for every business need. Odoo has apps for CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, manufacturing, and everything in between. And they're all in one easy-to-use software. And the best part about Odoo? All Odoo apps are integrated, helping you get things done faster and more efficiently. So when you think about business, Think Odoo. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash snap. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash snap.